Great Resignation, The Great Reassessment, The New Normal, The Decade of Action. Whatever wave you're riding or whatever wave is about to crash over you, one thing is certain. Status quo will no longer cut it. CEOs of today need to adapt, meaning the leadership styles, strategies, and responsibilities of a company's top job is set to change. You're listening to Business Extra, coming from the National in Abu Dhabi. I'm your host, Kelsey Warner. Joining me today is Shane Phillips, the CEO of the eponymous Phillips Group, a global executive search firm which specializes in board and CEO placement, whose clients include P&G, Shell, and Deloitte. Shane also serves on the board of Own My Career, a career management site. Shane, thanks so much for being here. I'm excited to hear what you're actually seeing on the ground in terms of hiring and what trends are happening for CEOs here in the region. The pandemic spurred widespread tech adoption, and there's an appetite on adopting environmental, social, and governance standards, i.e. ESGs. These are all great headlines, but I'm curious what you're actually seeing. Are any of these macro forces affecting the role of the CEO? Absolutely. I think the role of the CEO has had a a dramatic impact. And in fact, the beginning of COVID, we actually saw a lift in business for that specific reason. Boards were realizing that they did not have the right skill set in the chief executive officer role. And and that cascaded across many of the C-suite positions where you're seeing massive disruption across the CFO position as well as the CMO. As, as the markets transform, disruptions come, and these are really felt in the capability set required by a CEO to cope um, with these changes. In terms of this sort of waking up by boards, what what were the questions they needed you to address and what were some of the skill sets they wanted to adapt for? Well, traditionally, uh, in this specific region, when you look at CEOs, you you have uh, different boxes. So in the public sector, generally these CEOs, they could be uh, appointed by royal decree. And uh, and so from that sense, uh, capability is is going to uh, have its, its various gaps as you're appointed into an industry you may have never worked in before. Um, in the public sector, uh, sorry, in the private sector, you are, are uh, going to see a lot of the CEOs have come up as chief financial officers. So they came here 30, 40 years ago as accountants, they became controllers, they became the CFO, and now they became the chief executive officer. So these individuals are generally um, you know, good at managing a business, controlling a business, but in this new market or this new era that we've gone into, Innovative revenue generation is really a skill set that is required. And as markets have gone from being efficient to becoming more efficient, the, the, the markets have gone to becoming much more competitive. And now companies find themselves where they, where they were local champions, which had a protected market, are now really competing with global players who are mailing their products in from FedEx and Aramex into the customer's living room. And so you really have to start to ask, where is our revenue gonna come from? Where is the new revenue gonna come from? And traditionally, these CEOs that were in the region, a lot of them uh, did not come from that kind of a background. They didn't have that requirement. And, uh, and so now as the markets mature, you're seeing it become much more competitive. So for example, if you take any simple business like shopping malls, 
there traditionally were not that many shopping malls. Today, there are so many shopping malls, it is so competitive that you really have to understand who is your customer segment, why are they shopping, what is the customer value proposition that we're, that we're providing, how are we gonna market that to them, how are we gonna actually entice that customer in. This has been one of the major shifts that they've seen is that um, really revenue and profit generation is a critical skill set and understanding where the innovative revenue, where the net net new money is, and where is the money going to be three to five years from now. So for example, we have a client today that has hired us to hire some board managers, some board members for them to help with the vision of the business to say, hey, our business is profitable today. We're making money, but what are the disruptive technologies that are on the horizon? And if we're going to invest the CapEx, say we're going to invest $100 million CapEx into our business, where should that be? Which technologies, which regions, what product lines, where should we be fortifying this business? Where should we be investing? So these are critical questions that really were not as um, prominent maybe 10 years ago or five years ago, where the real risk of being disrupted out of the market uh, is 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 uh, you know you can just you can you we all know companies that have been pushed out because they missed the technology that they should have invested in or they didn't get into the right segment or they didn't think about their business in the right way. Sure. So I want to talk to you about. So there are a few themes there that I want to pick out. So the kind of extinction of the CFO to CEO corporate ladder that kind of going away. But if it's not the CFO who's naturally falling into that leadership role now, is it now the CTO? Is like Who, who is the heir apparent to lead a company uh, if, if it's not the person who's, who's maybe bottom line obsessed? They need to be tech obsessed. They need to be change obsessed. They need to know their market. But who, who are they? So I think very much in the region, the CFO is still a very bona fide and veritable path into the chief executive officer uh, position. I'm not saying that all CFOs make great CEOs, but it is a position where the board members will be very comfortable because they will know that individual. They would have spent, you know, five, six, seven years with the CFO. What people are saying, and I think what you're touching on is, is does it does that actually make sense? And is that the actual right move that we want to see? And a lot of people now uh, are questioning if the fundamental path into the CEO role will totally change and evolve. And you will see chief information officers for the first time, chief technology officers for the first time becoming CEOs. And we saw that now um, with uh, Sonny Varkey, Gems Education here, they started a new digital company called Tomorrow. And they're, uh, the person who's their chief disruption officer or de facto their CIO has taken that CEO position. Um, and you, you have seen it across the board and especially a very strong trend, which we're now seeing emerging in banking, where the digital bank has become really uh, the, the, the centerpiece or the epicenter of any of the financial services uh, strategy discussions. You are now seeing the, uh, the CIO becoming uh, heir apparent for that role. And, that, and that's something we haven't seen before. And now you're starting to say, okay, well, where is the real farm? Where is the breeding ground for the next CEOs? And the culture now at most companies is they're really saying we, we need to have a digital culture. And at that point, 
we definitely would predict that the CIOs and CTOs are going to be real contenders. Um, and there's a lot less elbow room in, in the boardroom these days uh, in the succession plan for the CEO, I can tell you that. I want to ask you, beyond where the CEO comes from, what makes a good CEO? How are boards assessing the attributes of a CEO? And post-pandemic, are leadership qualities being valued more because it's a more flexible, more maybe transient workforce than we were seeing before? The, the, what, what makes a great CEO and what boards should consider when they're hiring are two key elements which are number one, vision and identity. And these two elements are very clearly tied together. And I'll just give you a quick example. If you take a business, a hotel business, board members, they own, let's say this hotel business, they own 30 hotels. And one board member says, you know, our strength is the fact that we have these brick and mortar locations. So we need to invest in, you know, our real estate development and our hotel development. And the second person says, no, you know, our strength is really our people. We're, we have the great customer experience. So we need to really be a hotel management company and stop investing in, in brick and mortar and just, um, and, and sell our management skills. Uh, to 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 the market, and then the third person says, you know, actually, our all our business, what we're great at is generating online revenue because everyone books our hotels. We can fill a hotel online better than anyone else. It's really our our application. We're an application company, and 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 so on and so forth. So the CEO really needs to come and rallying the board members, getting consensus at the uh, at the board level and across the company on who we are. And what are we doing and why is it important? This is really the identity statement and, and, and great CEOs are able to understand how their identity expresses itself into the future. And you look at companies like Universal or Warner Brothers who identify themselves as also as, as movie businesses and they miss the a gaming uh, and the online gaming uh, piece because they don't see themselves as a, as a full range entertainment business and Blockbuster sees them as videotape rental rather than and so on and so forth as you can see as I, as as you watch this play out so great CEOs really ha are the are the identity statement of your organization and they need that identity statement to graft on to what are, what's the future evolution of our of our market and and so I could say if I were just to review my business I could say I'm an executive search consultant or I can say I'm a leadership expert executive search consultants maybe they might go extinct maybe they won't I don't know but leadership experts never will so identity is really the the, the key factor and unfortunately a lot of businesses hire CEOs who are more mercenaries who really do not identify with the business and they will make critical statements like you know I have my own life you know I have my own life on the weekend or you know I'm I'm uh, you know I have a work-life balance you know great CEOs great Great leaders don't, you know, George Washington didn't play, you know, stop thinking about democracy on the weekend. You know, it was who he is. You know, Muhammad Ali didn't stop being the champ, even when they took his belt away from him and locked him up in jail. And he was still referred to even by the prison guards as the champ. And uh, it's because it's, it's who you are. You know, that sense of who we are, the biggest identity statement you can have is your CEO. I also want to ask you about corporate greed and mismanagement. We've had a few high visibility scandals over the last few years, and they've gone right to the top with Abraj's Arif Nakvi, NMC Health and Finablers B.R. Shetty, as well as the Wirecard fraud and CEO Marcus Braun. 
Can you talk a bit about, it's quite a list, uh, can you talk a little bit about corporate greed and mismanagement and how boards can root out thieves at the very top? Absolutely. This is obviously touching on integrity, which is uh, one of the most important things, honesty, and somebody who's following the rules. Uh, you, you, you really want someone who's uh, cognizant to follow the legal rules and having the right compliance. So uh, before you hire anyone, two things that your organizational structure should have, which is a chief risk officer and a chief compliance officer and a chief audit officer. So if you have those three functions, it becomes infinitely more difficult for people. And I know, for example, Abraj, I'm pretty sure they didn't have a chief risk officer. Um, these people will identify these risks and make sure that you have the right protocol and systems in place. Secondly, uh, you, you really want to see evidence of someone exhibiting conscientiousness in their career. So a lot of organizations will really focus on technical skills, but conscientiousness is uh, a trait in which people go above and beyond outside of their job scope and they actually demonstrate uh, empathy and caring for others. So somebody who goes to high school, somebody who doesn't have a who's not conscientious, will do the bare minimum that they need to do to get into university. So did you contribute it to the school in any way? No, I focused on my studies. I got into what I got into university and end of story. Someone who has a really high level of conscientiousness will be leading charity drives. They'll say, you know, hey, that we didn't have a school news, newspaper, so I started a monthly edition of our paper. I did. Uh, I started our fundraisers for Cancer Walk. I did. Da, da, da. And these are all things that they are not necessarily part of the job description of a student, but they that to take on. So we want to start to look at: Is your candidate conscientious? Does your does your candidate engage in social good? This is where you can really pick up a, a, a lot about the ethical and uh, integrity levels of your candidate. Are you saying that boards should actually be asking potential candidates what they were like at 17, 18 and 19 years old? Absolutely. Absolutely. I profess this vehemently. And the reason why is because Number one, when we are ch children, I'm, I want to know what you were doing when you were seven years old. And people will say that's infinitely not important, Shane, for somebody who's 55 years old. And I will say yes, because as children, we don't have debt. We don't have the, you know, as an adult, you might have a lot of pressures on you that will be driving you and motivating you to, to take decisions that you may not necessarily want to take. So as a child, you don't have those, those pressures. And so when a child goes out and, and decides to participate in individual sports versus team sports or to you know, get involved in, in its community or not get involved, these are real expressions of the intrinsic nature of the candidate's personality. And as human beings, the core of our personality, you can change, but it is extremely difficult. And generally, generally, we will not see massive changes in personality traits unless the candidate has a near-death experience or extreme traumatic experience that uh, would then indicate, yes, we're going to see some personality changes at the, at, at the, at the result of that trauma. So, so it is a very good indication. And the third reason why you do that is because con men or liars 
very rarely will pick up to say, oh, these are the psychological traits that uh, are markers of a top performer in a CEO role. First of all, to know that, that would be impressive unless you're in, in a professional assessor and you're in our line of work. Secondly, to understand what are the behaviors that you would need to lie about that would exhibit those traits. It becomes a very complex web of lies that the person would have to execute all the while with the emotion and sentiment that a professional assessor will not get suspicious. That doesn't really make sense. So it's a great way to catch liars. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a great way to see the unadulterated, unfettered personality uh, of your candidate. And uh, I, I've, I, again, profess vehemently that, yes, you should. It's interesting. Okay, so I want to switch gears and kind of end on a bit of a prediction. Do you agree right now that the job market is in flux and that we are in a state of transition around leadership? I would say that the toolkit that's available for a CEO today is infinitely more powerful than any CEO of any other time in civilized world as we know it. And so uh, uh, the opportunity for a business to go from making $5 million a year to making $500 million a year in a very short period of time is more likely to happen in our current age than any other age that we've ever lived in. And at the same time, the business is much more complicated because your CEO uh, may have to get on a call about regulatory issues in Indonesia and then um, get on a sales pitch with somebody in Beijing and then talk to a union strike in Texas. And so these, the, the ability of a CEO to communicate across cultures and to understand what's culturally appropriate to say and do and act in one culture to the next while not offending people and, and engaging them is much more difficult. So you have a scalability lever that's, un, uh, that's unprecedented. You have uh, uh, a communication challenge that is so difficult. And you also have right-sizing challenges. So for example, we have for the first time in history, hotel companies with no hotels. We have taxi companies with no taxis. We have food and beverage companies with no food and beverage. And uh, so, so what are the capabilities that you actually need to succeed as a business? It becomes a very difficult question. So in all of this, the question, who are we, becomes epicenter and critical to your success. So I think, yes, it, 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 it has become uh, very challenging to find CEOs who can manage this, these huge swaths of skills that are required to be successful as we deal with this, with this new environment. And those people who get it right will really generate untold amounts of revenue. And we've seen that. Say, for example, you're selling blue widgets in your backyard. Well, 1975, you were still, you know, 10 years later, you were still selling blue widgets in your backyard. Today, you're selling blue widgets in your backyard. Tomorrow, you're, you, you can be on three different distribution websites and we know we can give you global distribution from all over the world in a few clicks. Shane Phillips, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe wherever you get your audio content. All that's left to do is thank our producers, Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan. And thank you for listening.